Amen. Thank you so much, Delapo. Don't you love it uh, when we've got people who really know how to pray in our church? And certainly Delapo's one of those. I feel blessed already. And it's so lovely to hear from Don and Abby. And just a reminder that we are the church, and the church uh, is happening all across the nation and the world, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. But first of all, I just noticed we've got a new lamp here, and uh, it looks like something out of Batman. Can you imagine? It's like the light goes on, and it's like, whoo <laughs> you know, there it is. <laughs> I just think it's hilarious, or it's, or it's maybe a bit more nautical, uh, Captain Haddock or something like that. Anyway, focus, focus, James. Um, well, guys, we're going to uh, open up the scriptures this morning. And, um, you know, I've had this phrase knocking around my head for the last couple of weeks, and it's um, m- the words mission critical. And I think it's probably because we watched as a family this sci-fi movie about a, a group of astronauts, three astronauts. I think they were on, their, on the first manned um, trip to, to Mars. Anyway... Uh, about a third of the way into that journey, there's an explosion in the aircraft and their life support system is uh, damaged. And they very quickly realize, like they're okay right then. There was, oxygen, there was enough oxygen for them in the immediacy. But as they did their calculations, they began to realize they didn't have enough to complete the journey, to complete the mission. And so the oxygen levels became mission critical. We're on a journey. Uh, We're in this series, Growing Up. Uh, And I'm asking a question this morning to myself. uh, What do we think Jesus would say is mission critical in our discipleship, in being uh, a follower of Jesus? What is mission critical? I want us to read this morning and kick off with um, a prayer. It was Jesus's last prayer, uh, and he prays for his disciples, and actually ends up praying for all of us. And it's a prayer just before he's arrested, uh, and we find it in John's Gospel, chapter seventeen. And listen to this prayer, because when you're about to lay down your life, uh, what you are about to share with your friends is going to be exceptionally important, and we need to take it very seriously. I think the answer to what is mission critical is probably, uh, as for us as Christians, is probably found in this prayer. So if you've got a Bible, let's open it to John chapter 17. And we're just going to uh, look at this last little bit of the prayer from verse 20. This is Jesus praying for all believers everywhere. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. That's you and me, uh, if you believe in the Lord. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I in you, may they also be in us so that the world may may believe that you have sent me. I have given them glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. And may they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as I have loved, um, sorry, 
have loved them even as you have loved me. Wow, what a prayer. Jesus is facing the cross and he's praying for his disciples and he's saying, I pray that they would be one like you and me are, Lord. Just as the Father and the Son are one, he's praying for the disciples and he's praying for the church. He's praying for believers now all over the world, across all of history, that we would be one and we would be complete in unity. He's about to go to the cross. It's, this is what's on his heart. Unity is on his heart. And, and he's going to the cross. And the answer to unity is found in the cross. Wow. What a prayer. What a prayer. And when I read this, I'm just... I'm, I'm, I, I love it and I struggle with it because as I look at and reflect on the extraordinary divisions and schisms across the church and the relational breakup that I've personally seen, I'm like, God, you're praying that we would be one. And yet here also, Jesus is saying that unity is possible. <laughs> he's, he's the Lord He's the Prince of Peace. If he, if he can pray that, then in him, unity is a possibility. In fact, he's inviting us, isn't he, as a follower of Jesus, to partake in the incredible dance relationship in the Godhead. Father loving the Son, and the Son pointing to the Father, and the Holy Spirit revealing the work of Jesus. It's like they're going, no, 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 I honor you. No, I honor you. No, it's you. You're the one. It's like this incredible synergy in the Godhead. And Jesus is saying, we can be part of that. You, he's praying, Father, you in us, I in them, for they would be one like us. Wow. Wow. That is amazing. And so I want to suggest today, if we're looking at growing up, then oneness has got to be a critical part of our discipleship. And, and, and it seems like the grown-ups in the faith pursue it because that's what's on Jesus' heart. And isn't it interesting, where there is oneness in the body, we find Jesus moving in power often. Just really quickly, it's, it's fascinating when you work your way through, for instance, um, the Gospels and then into the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1 and 2, it says, and they were all together praying, united as one in prayer. Guess what happens? Boom, the Spirit comes upon them. In Acts chapter 4, it says, the disciples were of one heart and mind. Boom. Shake, shake, shake the room. You know, it says the Spirit of God came and it just shook the whole place. Oneness, his presence. In verse 32 of 4, it says, they were of one heart. And again, boom, great power. The disciples performed miracles. There was a sense of awe. In fact, it says evil spirits couldn't stand it. Isn't that interesting? That when the body of Christ is together and one, evil, the enemy, cannot hang around. 
wherever there is oneness in Christ and oneness in the body, it attracts the presence of Christ, the power of God. And we heard about that last week when Taryn talked about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Anyway, I'm so challenged. Have we in the wider church neglected this prayer? Because it seems like it is absolutely mission critical. That as we are one, it says, then the world will know who he is and who Jesus is. The level of unity that we have is directly connected to the influence, the kingdom influence we will have in the world. Powerful stuff, I know. So just we could speak a lot about unity today, but I just want to turn to, to Ephesians chapter 4 and maybe pick out just three markers of maturity around this issue of unity. So why don't we turn there? Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus. It's a great, great uh, letter to this incredibly diverse um, community. You know, people from all over, lots of different cultures and backgrounds, and uh, they're coming together, uh, and Paul is encouraging them to be united. Chapter 4, verse 1 says this, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So when somebody repeats a word in a sentence or in a paragraph, we've got to realize that he is talking about oneness. He's echoing the prayer of Jesus to be one right there. And then just skip down to verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up in him. That's what we're talking about. We want to grow up in him who is the head, that is Christ. And from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It just seems like here, guys, point one is this, that the grown-ups in the faith, you know what? They remember salvation is a gift. They, 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 they engage and they relate because they, uh, um, in a way that they recognize, as Paul says there, live a life worthy of the calling that you have received, that we have received this incredible gift of forgiveness and eternity. You know, I, Tori and I have been so blessed over the years that, you know, we have been at times a bit skin and... Um, you know, some angel, maybe not literal, I, well, I don't know, has slid a, a, an envelope under our door with money in it. And we've been able to have a break and go on holiday. You know, over the years, we've had a couple of cars given to us. I mean, by people in the church. That's the body being so kind. And we've experienced the generosity of that. And I remember, you know, as I get into the, and I, and I got into those cars, I would remember the person who gave it to us. I'm sitting in a gift that I did not buy. I had no right to it, but it was given to me. 
And as I start the engine, I just say, thank you, God, for so-and-so. I'm living in a gift. We're living in the gift of eternity and forgiveness. This is what Paul is getting at. We want to be people of unity. Then the basis of that unity is the sacrifice and the gift of eternal life that Jesus bore at the cross. That oneness comes from a place of, if you like, keeping the cross close. Because it brings perspective and how we're to relate to one another and to, to be a people of, the, of love. What does Paul say there? He says, because Jesus is the head. And when you love Jesus, then you can't help loving the rest of the body. When our love for Jesus is shallow, then our love for the body will be shallow. Francis Chan says, when our love is shallow, all it takes is a minor disagreement to divide us. Wow. You know, we want to love Jesus deeply. And as we pursue him, then, the, then we appreciate what he's not only done for us, but we appreciate what he's done for every single other brother and sister. And we look at them through the sacrifice of Christ. And so we do not want to dishonor the sacrifice of Christ, do we? And so there's a wee challenge in there from Paul. Our oneness comes from remembering this is such a gift. Maybe another way of putting it is this. Grown-ups look up and then look look out with love we love up and therefore we love out and don't get me wrong there's a challenge in all of this isn't it we're human beings people do our heads in sometimes but it's a choice to love okay then moving on you know uh, just the other day um uh, just last thursday actually um our church has connect groups, and they do all sorts of w wonderful things and meet together. Well, I, myself, and Tor and the girls decided to join an absolute bunch of nutters. Uh, they were swimming in the North Sea. I mean, I know it's May, but it's been the coldest and wettest and hor most horrible May since 1950-something. Anyway, it was a beautiful day like on Thursday, and uh, it wasn't particularly warm, but we went down to Stonehaven, and... Um, and along the shore, we had a swim, and afterwards, we went to go and get some chips at a local chippy. Anyway, I went into the queue, did the order thing, and then I went back and sat in the car. And as I'm sitting in the car, I'm looking up, and there was a guy who was in the queue before me, and I said, you know, that guy's got like a purple t-shirt on. And Tor was like, no, it's not purple. It's kind of like gray and, and white, and I think it's striped. And I was like, Tor, it's purple, honestly. Like, you need your eyesight tested. And I was ripping her. Anyway, then I realized this guy in the purple T-shirt was now getting served him, so it was my turn. So I jumped out of the car and went towards the shop. As I'm walking towards the shop, you already know what's happening. The guy in the purple shirt is coming towards me, and as he comes closer, I realize I thought it was purple, but it is a gray and white, tightly lined T-shirt. And I looked backwards, and Tor was very gracious. Not. 
I had to eat humble pie big time. I was utterly convinced. It was a purple t-shirt and I, I was giving her a hard time. Anyway, I got back in the car and they were, uh, Tor was very gracious, not. In fact, all three of the girls ganged up on me and rightly so. I was so arrogant. I was not particularly humble. I had grasped onto what I believed and thought was truth. And actually, it still, I want to say, it still was purple. It was like one of those t-shirts that kind of, I don't know what you call it. It, was like a, it, it, it really, yeah, anyway. But, but, but the reality was, it was, my perspective wasn't fully right, and I needed Tor's perspective. Anyway, what does Paul say here? He says, you know, verse 2.2, be completely humble, gentle and patient and bearing with one another. You know, if we, if we want unity, then we have to operate from humility. Be completely humble. The antidote to division is humility. And where there is division, often pride is just present. I think the humble know that they only see in part. Their posture is, I want to listen and hear what the other person is seeing and saying. Their posture is lifelong learning and teachability. It's like the humble always see the bigger picture. And they see and honor the wider body. They know, as Paul put it here in the text, there is one body, one faith, one hope, one Father who is in all and over all. And so when I hear Jesus' prayer about unity and togetherness, and I look at the fractured body of Christ, it just doesn't seem to add up, does it? Because the Lord sees one family, one, his family. And so we do believe, don't we? There are some things that are super important. There are some things that, you know, I, I believe that purple that purple t-shirt was I was right and it was true but I held on to that but there was it was also true that it was striped and sometimes we can get so entrenched in our perspective and our parochial views there are some essential truths of Christian doctrine um, that are the foundation for recognizing who our brothers and sisters are and today we don't have time, and I'm certainly not qualified to dissect the hundreds, if not thousands, of schisms in the church uh, that have happened across the ages. But I just want to throw out eight truths that identify us as brothers and sisters, that the, the, the universal Orthodox Church would subscribe to. And the first thing is this, Jesus is fully divine. He's the Son of God, and He's fully God. That we are all broken in some way by sin. That the church is the body of Christ. And when you're a part of the body of Christ, it's there that you find um, not only fulfillment, but you fulfill your full potential in Jesus in being connected to other Christians. We believe in the Trinity, that the Godhead is three in one. We believe in the resurrection that Jesus rose again. Not just he died and was sacrificed, but actually he rose to new life. We believe in the incarnation that Christ came, fully God and fully man, two natures in one. 
We believe in new beginnings, that there was nothing that we could do to kind of recreate a new start. It's a gift, as I've already said, a gift of grace. And then finally, we believe that one day Jesus will return. These are kind of like eight tenets, if you like, of Christian doctrine that the universal church would say, if you believe those, then you are bro- we are now brothers and sisters. And so there is so much more, isn't there, that unites us than divides us. And when I look at the diversity of the church, the vast majority believe those, those eight uh, Uh, principles or tenets, if you like. And so I'm praying that as we come out of COVID, we would have a greater appreciation, not only for our own church or for the vineyard churches nationally, but for the global universal church that is diverse. You know, when we engage with humility with our brothers and sisters and with other denominations, I think God honors it. Uh, over a, a number of years ago, uh, I, I've had the privilege to speak in lots of different denominational settings. And I remember I was speaking at a Catholic cathedral. And um, uh, it was a, obviously a communion service. And uh, it was beautiful. They would sang songs I didn't fully uh, know. Uh, but we did a lot of kneeling and standing and, and some liturgy. And, and I said to the Lord, I'm going to engage with this. And let me tell you, I felt God's presence. Anyway, it came to communion. And because I'm not confirmed in the Catholic Church, I cannot and couldn't take communion. Whereas in my own church, I bless the bread and the wine and we partake of it. And so we lined up. And as I'm walking down the line, I just simply had, by instruction, had to put my hands across my chest and bow my head. And the priest placed his hands on me and prayed a blessing. Do you know what happened? I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And here I am in a Catholic church, shaking as this priest blesses me. Wow. They do things differently. But let me tell you, God was present. We can learn from one another. You know, I've had the you know, chance to um, be in Baptist churches. I've, uh, I've been uh, around um, uh, independent evangelical churches. Um, uh, I've, I've had the fun uh, of being around exuberant Pentecostal churches where you have to peel them off the ceiling and, and the hallelujahs are being shouted out on every three seconds. But you know what? God was there. And we can learn from it all. There are brothers and our sisters. And one of the most powerful moments in my, my life was when a nun prayed for me. I was at a conference, and an, an evangelist conference, and this nun prayed for me. And wow, God's presence came. What I want to suggest is that the grown-ups... And the growing ups, we appreciate the diversity of the church and we treat and we honor our brothers and sisters and our posture is one of learning. And then finally, and really super quickly, those final words that Paul says there in verses 15 and 16. And from 16, from him, the whole body is joined and held together by every support and ligament grows and builds itself up. In love, 
and these words, as each part does its work. As each part does its work. The growing up know there's a job to be done. They keep the mission in focus. They find their place to serve. They're not worried uh, and they're not focused on the distractions of disunity. They're not looking overly inward at all that other stuff, but they're looking outward to the Lord and to reaching the world. They've got a job to be done. I was, in my readings, I was reading uh, the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is called to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city walls. And what a phenomenal picture it is. And I was reading in chapter 3, and in some ways it feels like the most boring bit of the book. And as I was reading it, my te- my, my, I just teared up. Because it's just a list of people building on the wall. And it's like the sheep gate was repaired by Eliashib. And next to him were the men of Jericho. And, and, a, and the adjoining section at the fish gate was built by the sons of Hassaniah. They laid the beams and put in the doors. And next to him was so-and-so. And next to them was him and so-and-so. And next to them was Ben. And next to them was Libby. And next to them was Delapo. And the list went on, if you like. I'm, I'm joking. Libby and Delapo aren't in the scriptures. But you get my picture. There was just this incredible sense of everybody was doing what God had asked them to do. And they were working hard and building the wall. Have you found your place in the wall? Have, have we been distracted from what we need to do and what God has called us to do? To be a kingdom presence. To be one so that the world will know him. And to love him. And so... As we come out of COVID, you know, on Friday, there was a lot of tears in the upper room. It was absolutely beautiful. In fact, someone said to me, I'm so glad I was wearing a mask. I was ugly crying for half an hour. (laughs) People were meeting with God. We'd regathered. There was an appreciation of being one again. As we come out of COVID, my prayer is the Jesus prayer that we would be one and we would have a new appreciation. Pray that this, as we come out of the pandemic, our vision would be realigned with Christ and we would pursue oneness so that the world would know him. Let me pray and then, guys, I pray that these words would just maybe generate and get under our skin in a fresh way. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to hand over to Andy and the band for us to worship. So, Father, thank you for your scriptures. Jesus, thank you that that prayer that you prayed in John's gospel is still being prayed by you. That you want the church to be one. You want us to love each other. To be gracious to to one another. To be humble. To pursue you. And to find our place in the wall. Amen.